Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Okay, welcome, everybody. I am your host, Coach Castleton. With me, uh, usually, is Coach Bishop. He is uh, on assignment. Uh, and it's so today, it's just myself and and our uh, illustrious boss, Emily Chambers. Oh, I see. I missed the memo where we were off today. I would not have shown up. This is. Yeah. Come no, on. it's tough. I know you don't want to just hang out with me. Well, I mean, it, it, yeah, no, I don't want no. to say anything I, I know. too mean about your family, but I think part of the reason why you have so many lovely children. is you were like, these people want to spend all of the time with me. I am going to hug them so close <laughs> because they love just me. So, it playing the odds like like if three of them ditch me i might con one of them into liking me um hey you guys want to play a game get away dad oh my god um, that is i am sorry i can't let that slide though that is so the opposite of everything that i've heard about your children basically it says <laughs> if they could live inside your shirt they would be there with you right now it, it is crazy it is crazy mm-hmm. um, much as i try to uh to abandon them. They all seem to keep turning up, boss. Yeah, um, you got that charm. Uh, today, uh, we are going to, it's a very different episode, a very special episode. We are going to uh, take, We Coach couldn't be here, so we thought, okay, we want to keep um, making sure that we uh, uh, give you guys, give our listener community, give our Buttercup community things that we love and things that we're excited about. We've been exploring Wayne. We're not doing that today. We've, we've of course, come into this doing Ted Lasso, which is uh, uh, absolutely wonderful, and we will continue to do that. We're also not doing that today. Today we're doing our first audiobook. Um, it is a book I discovered. I'll talk about it afterwards. Um, it, it, is, it is so much fun. If you're looking for something, it's a little bit offbeat. Um, it's it can be uh, actually you know what I don't want to I don't want to set it up too much it's something that I absolutely love I have been listening to I'm on book three I've been listening to it nonstop it is so much fun anything that makes me laugh uh, this hard for this long uh, I just want to share with everybody so what we're going to do today is we're going to play the first uh, little bit of it and see if it if it tickles anyone's fancy and then you know if it's for you great and if it's not um again we'll keep uh sharing things that we love and hopefully uh you know something will land and and some of our listeners will enjoy it and uh, and hopefully it's something that um you know people people can get something out of boss i mean that that is always the goal and if you hate it you know it, you could try to be a better person i don't know oh that's that's I, me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this doesn't feel like something anyone's going to hate. Uh, at the no. very least, you'll be like, "Oh, it's not my jam." Yeah, but yeah. but I, I, it's not not it's not very hateable. Anyway, the concept I think is pretty easy to to uh, to get. And uh, so, uh, without further ado, we are going to uh, play a little little tidbit here of uh, Dungeon Crawler Carl, which is uh, written by Matt Dinneman and narrated by Jeff Hayes. Enjoy. Sound Booth Theater presents Dungeon Crawler Carl, written by Matt Dinneman, narrated 
by Jeff Hayes. Chapter 1 The transformation occurred at approximately 2.23 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. As far as I could tell, pretty much anyone who was indoors when it happened was instantly killed. If you had any sort of roof over you, you were dead. That included people in cars, airplanes, subways, even tents and cardboard boxes. Well, probably umbrellas, too. Though, no, I'm not so sure about that one. I'm not going to lie. You guys who were inside, probably warm and asleep, dreaming about some random bullshit. I'm jealous. You're the lucky ones. You were just gone, splattered into dust during the transformation. It was a Tuesday, and the calendar had just ticked over to January 3rd. A terrible winter storm had descended on North America, and half the country was buried in snow and ice. In Seattle, we didn't have too much snow that night. But it was well below zero, which was unusually cold, even for January. I'm sure in other parts of the world where it was warmer and not in the middle of the night, many more people survived. Many more. I also bet most of them were probably wearing more clothes than I was at the time of the incident. And those assholes were smart enough not to go into the light. Me? I didn't have a choice. Like I said, it was below freezing. I was outside, and I was wearing boxers, a leather jacket, and a pair of pink frock sandals that barely fit me. I was also holding a crying, scratching, squirming, and spitting cat named Princess Donut, the Queen Anne Chunk. She was a tortoise-shell Persian cat worth more than I made in a year. My ex-girlfriend called her Princess Donut for short. I just stuck with Donut. So let me back up about ten minutes. I won't bore you with too much backstory, but some of these details may be important. My name is Carl. I am 27 years old. After a stint in the U.S. Coast Guard, I ended up working as a marine tech, fixing electrical systems for rich assholes and their party boats. I, up until a few days before this started, lived with my girlfriend in our apartment in Seattle. Her name was Beatrice. B. She went to the Bahamas for a New Year's thing with a bunch of friends. She didn't tell me her ex-boyfriend went along with her on the trip. I figured it out pretty quick when I saw the picture of her sitting on his lap on Instagram. I don't like drama, and I don't deal well with it. Whether she was actually cheating on me or not, it didn't matter so much. She'd lied. So I called her up, and I told her we were done. I promised I'd have all her stuff ready for her to go when she got back. No drama, no fuss. But we were done. She'd asked her parents to come get the cat, but they lived on the other side of the Cascades. Nobody was getting through any of the passes with this weather. So I promised I'd look after her until Beatrice got back. So, let me tell you about Donut the Cat. Like I said, she's one of those fluffy... Flat-faced cats that look like they need to be sitting on the lap of a Bond villain. B and I shared a two-bedroom apartment, and one of those rooms was dedicated to the cat, if that tells you anything. More specifically, the room was dedicated to Donut's best-in-show ribbons, her best-in-breed ribbons, and the countless trophies and framed photographs of her sitting on a table, 
looking all fuzzy and pissed off while B and the judge stand behind her. B probably had 50 of the photographs. She won a mess of ribbons and trophies and photographs pretty much every time Beatrice took Donut to an event. And B took that damn cat to a show almost every weekend. Her whole family was into raising and showing Persian cats. Me? I didn't really know much about that whole cat show world. I didn't want to get too involved. Like I said, I don't do drama. And let me tell you something about cat people. More specifically, cat show people. Actually, never mind. Fuck those guys. All that's important is B and Donut were a part of this whole world I didn't want anything to do with. I never considered myself a big fan of cats. But, if we're being truthful here, I liked Donut. That cat did not give two shits about anybody or anything. And I could respect that. If Donut wanted to sit on my lap while I was blasting away on PlayStation, then she sat on my damn lap. If I tried to pick her up, she hissed and scratched and jumped right back up there. And then she looked at me with a squished face that said, What are you going to do about it? I'd been tempted, more than once, to throttle the thing. But I'm not an asshole. Plus, I could respect the little monster's tenacity. Some of my buddies would give me crap about it, me spending all this time with a fuzzy cat that was probably worth more than I would make in a year. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having that ball of fuzz sitting in my lap. One of Beatrice's ironclad, this-is-not-negotiable rules was no smoking in the apartment. So after our fight and breakup, I'd made a point of smoking as much as I could. I know, immature, but it was freezing outside. Donut didn't seem to like the smoke too much, and the smell clung to her hair. So, as a compromise, I would crack the window when I smoked. So, when I woke up at about 2 a.m., having been startled awake by a dream, I decided I needed a smoke. I pulled out my pack, cracked the window, and I lit a cigarette. Donut, who had been sleeping right next to me on the bed, decided at that very moment that she wanted to, for the very first time in her feline life, go outside and explore. She jumped up on my shoulder, and she leaped out the second-story window onto the tree outside my apartment. Just like that. I'd had that window open dozens of times over the past year, and she'd never even given the window a second glance. But tonight, on the coldest night of the year, the furry asshole decided to loose and clark her way out of the apartment. She scampered down the tree, sniffed at the sidewalk a few times, and then promptly realized it was cold as fuck. Her adventure over as quickly as it began. She rushed back up the tree and stared at me over the five feet from the window to the branch. The adventure all drained out of her. Donut decided not to risk jumping back inside. So instead, she decided to start howling at the top of her lungs. I spent the next several minutes cursing at the cat, trying to coax her back inside. I opened the window all the way, sending gales of ice-cold air in the previously toasty apartment. The fuzzy, black and beige and white cat just sat there, bitching and howling so much I feared one of my neighbors might wake up and shoot her. I'd left my boots in the dryer all the way in the building's basement. I didn't know where the hell my running shoes were, so in a momentary decision I would quickly come to regret. I squeezed my feet into a pair of my ex-girlfriend's Crocs pulled a heavy leather jacket on, and I rushed outside to grab the cat. 
Part of me kept saying, screw it. It's not your cat. Let the fucker freeze. But like I said, I'm not that much of an asshole. As much as Beatrice deserved it, she loved that damn cat. And poor, stupid Donut wouldn't stand a chance out here in the cold. Not for long. Plus, again, the cat was right there, howling like someone was eating her children in front of her. I rushed down the stairs and I jumped outside, rushing to the tree that sat between the sidewalk and the building. I immediately regretted not taking the time to put proper clothes on. The cold, windy air sunk its claws into my legs and feet. Donut was right there, sitting on a tree just out of reach, looking between me and the open window into the apartment. She continued to howl. A light popped on in an apartment on the first floor. I groaned. Mrs. Parsons. Grumpy, I'd like to file complaints, Mrs. Parsons. Donut! I said. Come on, you little shit! I held out my arms. The cat could jump into my arms. It was something I trained her to do. I could shake a bag of cat treats and she'd jump right up there. I could make a clicking sound and she'd sometimes jump on my shoulder. Shit. I should have brought cat treats out with me. The window on the first floor apartment popped up. What in God's name is going on out there? Mrs. Parsons called, sticking her head out the window. The old woman had her head wrapped in a some sort of towel, making her look like a swami. Her beady eyes focused on me. Carl, is that you? Yes, Mrs. Parsons, I said. Sorry, the cat got out. I'm trying to get her in before she freezes to death. It looks like you're the one who's going to freeze Slam! Mrs. Parsons never finished the sentence. It happened so fast. The building slammed down to the ground. I watched it happen. The seven-story apartment building was there one moment, and then it was gone. But it hadn't disappeared. I was looking right at Mrs. Parsons when it went down. It was like the building was a massive tin can that had been crushed by a giant cosmic boot. I saw it, and I heard it. Wind rushed at me, and it was instantly dark outside. The street lamp just to my left was gone. The buildings all around me were gone. The cars on the street were gone, too. Everything was gone except the trees and the bicycles and the bike racks and Marjorie Williams' moped that was still booted by parking enforcement. I looked around, the freezing weather momentarily forgotten. In the dark, overcast night, I could barely see anything. In the distance, and I'd never before been able to see any sort of distance, a fire burned. There was utter, complete silence. What the hell? I said, spinning in circles. A couple random things remained like a bike rack. The stop sign was there, but the street sign was gone. It didn't make sense. Where the cars were parked on the road, car-shaped indentations of dirt appeared, as if they'd been pulled down to the center of the earth, being ripped directly through the asphalt. Donut jumped into my still outstretched arms. I looked at the still howling cat, not knowing what to do or say. What the hell? I said again. All that remained of my building was a rectangle of churned dirt and rocks. And then I saw it, right near my feet. 
It was Mrs. Parsons' head. In the dark, it was hard to discern, but I immediately knew what it was. It hit me at that moment. The sudden shock of the buildings was one thing, but there were people in those buildings. It was almost everybody in the damn city. Hell, even most of the homeless people were in shelters. There'd been a whole thing on the news about them rounding everybody up because of the extreme cold. It was two in the damn morning on a Monday night. Everyone would be in bed. And that meant everyone was dead. I kept spinning in circles like an idiot, not knowing what to do. I felt sick to my stomach. Donut started to squirm, having decided I was useless. He clawed at me, but I wouldn't let the cat go. Then came the voice. A male, robotic voice. It spoke in my mind. The voice was like a physical thing, a spike in my brain, scratching me. It wasn't speaking English, but I understood the words. As the person spoke, the words also appeared floating in front of me. Surviving humans, take note. What? I said out loud. What's that? Who's there? I kicked at the floating words with my foot, and the two small croc went flying. I hopped over and quickly shoved my foot back in. The words moved with me, floating just a few feet in front of my face. Even the letters weren't in English. They crawled down, not across the screen. But I knew them, understood them like I'd been reading the language my entire life. Per syndicate rules, subsection 543 of the Precious Elemental Reserves Code, having failed to file a proper appeal for the mineral and elemental rights within 50 solars of first contact, your planet has been successfully seized and is currently being mined of all requested elemental deposits by the assigned planetary regent. Every interior of your world has been crushed and all raw minerals, organic and inanimate, are in the process of being mined for the requested elements. Per the Mined Material Reclamation Act, along with the subsection 35 of the Indigenous Planetary Species Protection Act, any surviving humans will be given the opportunity to reclaim their lost matter. The Borent Corporation, having been assigned regency over this solar system, is allowed to choose the manner of this reclamation, and they have chosen option three, also known as the 18-level World Dungeon. The Borent Corporation retains all rights to broadcast, exploit, and otherwise control all aspects of the World Dungeon, and will remain in control as long as they adhere to syndicate regulations regarding world resource reclamation. Upon successful completion of level 18 of the World Dungeon, Regency of this planet will revert to the successor. A syndicate neutral observer AI, myself, has been created and dispatched to this planet to supervise the creation of the world's dungeon and to ensure all the rules and regulations are properly followed. Please pay careful attention to the following information, as it will not be repeated. Per the Indigenous Planetary Species Protection Act, all remaining materials estimated to be 99.999999% of the sifted matter, is currently being repurposed for the subterranean world's dungeon. The first level of this dungeon will open approximately 18 seconds after the end of this announcement. The first level entrances will be open for exactly one human hour and one hour only. Once the entrances are closed, you may no longer enter. If you enter, you may not leave until you have either completed all 18 levels of the world dungeon or if you meet certain other requirements. If you choose not to enter the world's dungeon, you will have to sustain yourself upon the surface of your planet, 
and this may be the last communication you receive during your lifetime. All previously processed matter and elements are forfeit. However, you are free to mine and utilize any remaining and naturally occurring resources for your own benefit. The Borant Corporation wishes you luck and thanks you for the opportunity. For those who wish to exercise their right of resource reclamation, please take note. There will be 150,000 level 1 entrances added to the world. These entrances will be marked and easy to spot. If you so choose to enter the first level of the dungeon, you will have five rotations of your planet to find the next level down. There will be 75,000 entrances to level 2. There will be 37,500 entrances to level 3, 18,750 to level 4, 9,375 entrances to level 5, and 4,688 entrances to level 6. The number of available entrances to the next lower level will continue to decrease by half, rounding up until the 18th level, which will only have two entrances and a single exit. Brawlers who choose to enter the world dungeon must find a staircase and descend to the next level down before the allotted time is up for that level. Once the time has passed, the level will be reclaimed and all remaining matter in the level, organic and inanimate, will be forfeit. Generated loot and other matter that is not gathered and claimed may be placed in the syndicate market. Each lower level will have a longer period of reclamation. Additional rules come into play once any crawlers descend to the tenth floor. These rules will be explained when and if any crawlers reach this level. If you so choose to enter the world dungeon, it is highly recommended you immediately find and utilize a tutorial guild. Multiple tutorial guilds will be seated throughout the dungeon on levels 1 through 3. If you have any additional questions, or you wish to file an appeal, such requests must be submitted in writing directly to the closest Syndicate office. Thank you for being a part of the Syndicate. Have a great day. My brain could barely parse any of what the voice had said. So bewildered I was at everything that had just happened. I could no longer feel my legs. I had been outside much too long, and I was in serious danger of freezing to death, of losing toes to the cold. I had to get inside, and I had to do it now. But there was no inside anymore. There weren't even any cars. I eyed the fire that continued to rage a few blocks over. I needed to get over there, and fast. I turned... I started to shuffle run. The wind, which had been a light breeze before the buildings all disappeared, was now a constant freezing gale that stank of the ocean. Donut twisted in my arms, scratching at me, trying to get free. She chomped onto my shoulder, but my jacket protected me. I clutched the cat tighter. Was this a dream? Had I accidentally been dosed with some sort of hallucinogen? world dungeon what the actual hell what did that even mean my mind continued to race i immediately thought of pathfinder dungeons and dragons and other games i hadn't played since i was on active duty i couldn't see a single damn person i was surrounded by only the sound of the wind a horn like a trumpet sounded blasting through the night air I stopped dead, looking around. What now? It's the dungeon appearing, I thought. This is happening. Holy shit, this is really 
happening? Less than a hundred feet to my left, right in the middle of what had once been a thrift store, the spotlight burst into the air. I saw an additional spotlight appear about a mile away. I turned, and I saw a few more littered throughout the city. Even from this distance, I could feel the warmth radiating from the brightly lit hole in the ground. I didn't think about it. My head still swam with all the information that had been thrown at me. The pink crocs barely fit on my feet. The distant fire was further away than I thought. I had seen firsthand what hypothermia did to people. So I turned toward the light, and I ran. Part 1, Chapter 2 All right. So, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to reduce it to say um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy meets Running Man, but sort of. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's, yeah, no, it's 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 derivative of a hundred different things. Well, derivative. I hate when people. I hate that derivative has somehow come to mean bad. Sometimes it is, but sometimes derivative is literally shorthand for something else. If they tell you this amount, then you get this. We, yeah, we can think of it as an homage. An homage is bad. Yeah, an homage is a nicer word, I think. But yeah, that um. Uh, so actually my, um, biggest, did you ever read Hitchhiker's Guide? Yeah. Yeah. So my biggest problem with that was always that it should have been about Trillian. I don't understand why we give shit about Arthur. Like, yeah, she's the one that a two headed alien is like, Hey, you want to go travel the galaxy? And she's like, fuck yes, let's do this. Like she, she would have been the better protagonist. So I at least like that this guy is like, Oh, okay. I got to go do some shit. Let's, I'm not just going to be Martin Freeman in my robe complaining because somebody knocked over my house even though i'm in space now yeah yeah right there is there is that um yeah i uh it's hard it's hard to this is the most obviously this is the most exposition that you get Mm -hmm. obviously uh, for, for the entire uh uh manuscript um, but but uh, it goes from here, and then it is immediately like laugh out loud funny, and um, some of the twists are, are mind blowing, and and we always like to highlight people who have like like a true imagination. Now you, we could say this is this is a book written by Matt Dinneman, and um, who's the who's the reader again, boss? Right there on your screen. Oh shit! Well, it's of course read, I read by. Of course, I closed it. Hold on, give me one. Do you just do Control Shift T? All right, there we go. Control Shift T. See, I'm not actually that big of a dork because I don't know these things. There we go. That opens up your last closed tab. Uh, Jeff Hayes. Yeah, Jeff Hayes. Yeah, right. So Matt Dinneman, Jeff Hayes, and and we can say Matt Dinneman is highly influenced uh by you know pop culture and and uh sort of everything he's absorbed over the years but what he does with it is uh it's just it's phenomenal well i mean that's always the thing like there are only so many there's only the outline of so many stories to tell it comes down to the details and 
how you change the story and in what ways. Like, yeah. every story's been told already. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. No, no, for, for, for sure. I, I always bristle when they say every story's been told. I, I, have a, I get a personal uh, sort of, like, uh, resentment about that concept. I'm sure it's true, but as someone who likes to create story, I go, wait a second, what? No, no, no. There's got to be new... Uh, versions of stories, but maybe it is. Maybe there's all of the all of the sort of all of, all of the templates are out there, and then it's it's the small choices that you make inside of that. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, the choices are absolutely. <laughs> I I just appreciate something that can make me like roar laughing, just like in my own. You know, while I'm while I'm I know I know so many of our listeners will um, throw us on in the background and do their dishes or, you know, get, uh, people put us on while they're exercising and things like that. And this is the type of audiobook where you put it on and then you find yourself like, you have to like pause your, your treadmill because you'll fall over. You're laughing so hard. It's that, uh, it's that good. Yeah. I think uh, one of the biggest misconceptions about fantasy or sci-fi, and I'm not like huge into either of those, but I've read most of the, uh, sort of staples the the canons or whatnot um although i never read dune i've only known two people in real life who have ever read dune all the way through uh wow yeah did you read dune no no i wish i were that uh i wish i were that no i wish i could 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 be your third but uh no 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 i can't you can't i i tried reading dune once you can't read dune um yeah people think it's not funny it's it, it can be hilarious. There's no good reason why fantasy or sci-fi shouldn't be hilarious. And this sounds uh, yes, it, very true. It sounds maybe like a, a a fantasy take on a sci-fi novel in that there seems to be aliens and technology and everything else, but then you need to go eighteen layers deep into a dungeon and uh, battle creatures. It does. I, that's a very astute observation. It does blend the best of both uh, genres, and you, <laughs> which is going to piss the, off a sci-fi nerd someplace out there. They're going to say, "Well, when there's is, when there's magic, then it's <laughs> fantasy. It's not sci-fi. It's not hardcore sci-fi." Then, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, yeah, right. Uh, it probably resists uh, categorization depending on what uh, chapter you're in. But yeah, no, it has that element to it where. Um, it gives itself permission. It's almost like poetic license on, on crack where, where it gives itself permission to say like, if we can think it like it's, it might just be in this dungeon. Um, so um, yeah. And then I, I told you how much I like, uh, I've said it so many times in the show, how difficult I think it is to pull off like truly dumb character. Carl's not dumb. He's definitely, he's mm-hmm. not dumb, but he has a stupid man. Quality, mm-hmm, quality mm-hmm, about him, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, like we talk about the Jason Mendozas and the Andy Dwyers, and the you know, there's just characters that um, Troy Barnes. Who, who is just to make sure to throw that out? Yeah, tr- yes, right, yes. Thank you. I'm trying to think who's our who's our. We don't really have a a dumb. We don't have one of those on Ted Lasso, do we? Do we have like a? Uh, Jamie is a. We have different versions yeah. of obtuseness. Jamie is a bit of a himbo at times. Yes. Right. Like, uh, I was thinking the other day about how um, I'm me. Why would I want to be anybody else? Uh, yeah. In that that is extremely emotionally I don't think healthy. I realize. 
how emotionally yeah, healthy that is. But yeah, also, exactly. it, it, I don't think that he was saying like, I have done a lot of work on myself and I've reached a point where I feel like I am the best version of the human I could be. What he means is like, I'm, I'm a footballer and I'm hot and I've got a hot girlfriend. Why, why wouldn't I want to be me? That's, that is not introspection. Yeah. That is just, he is there and that's what he's going to be. Yeah. 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 But it's true. But other than that, not, not really. There's versions of, in Ted Lasso, right. They're too kind to make someone actively dumb. The worst they do is they say, uh, oh, this character will be obtuse about this or preposterous. Like I would never be in a, I can't imagine being in a, uh, in a different country than my, my accents. Like, yes. So you're like, okay, that's not dumb, but it's, it's like, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. You know, or, or, uh, it, sort of uh, Danny being able to reduce things to like football is life. Like, yeah. You know, like sim- oversimplification of big concepts to be like, whatever, like that's. Yeah, it, well, I was a little bit thinking about Isaac and Danny, both not, I hate that simple is a bad word. Oh, also. Isaac, Isaac, yeah, yeah, Isaac can yeah. be a little bit, but also a lot of that is just like, he is so good at what he does that he doesn't need to worry about other things. Like you tell him to keep throwing right. chairs at TVs and he's just going to keep doing it. But also he yeah. had the idea to throw the chair at the TV in the first place. So it's. And he's also a master at other things. He's right. a master hair cutter and yes. uh, stylist. Yes. And, and uh, you know, and but then you also have people drinking vanilla vodka. Uh, uh, and like children. Like children. So. Because everybody knows they don't... the child loves vanilla vodka. In In the true Ted Lasso fashion. They share the dumb with everybody. They, yeah. they spread they, they 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 spread it on thin, like a like a nineteen eighties American mom making you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know. Well, even to the extent to which, when Ted shows up, people assume that he is a uh, hillbilly, stupid American. Yes, that is true. Right, right. It is. They couch it in a, in the American side. Right. So if you are, he couldn't even drink water, boss. Like, yeah, that's how dumb this. Well, when it's flat, he was. can. The fizzy stuff. He, he other regular water, he could do just fine. I, uh, he doesn't know what offsides. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. like almost. It's almost like not having like a third grade education in the, Europe is not understanding the, offsides. The man who could bend it like himself, and the the guy with the yeah. Mickey Mouse hands. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like they really do lay it on that he has absolutely and i mean in the show's defense he knew probably for at least a couple of months what he was getting himself into and he was not reading a book on the plane i so it, that might have more been a not an active form of ignorance but he had decided he didn't need to research those things before getting there and then once there even though he was put on the spot by rebecca was in fact uh, not prepared for the interview that he was supposed to be doing. Not ready day one. Right. Right. Yes, not ready. He was going to go home and sh- have a nice shower and a couple. Yeah, he was going to take a couple days to mm-hmm. to settle in. Yeah. No, no, no that, that is true. But well, yes, and, and in that way, uh, Carl uh, of uh, of the esteemed Dungeon Crawler Carl series is um, uh, he's not dumb. He, he, but he has he has that uh, oafish male energy, and, and it's per- portrayed in a way that's like sort of accessible to everyone. So ev- even if you are an oafish male like me, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you can you can. It's like when your friends give a really good roast on you, and you're like, "Fuck, that is yeah, <laughs> uh, shit." Yeah, <clears throat> like like the like the uh, 
the 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 TikTok that made its way around about uh, white people hiking. Oh like, my oh, god. god! Yeah, that would. Uh, like, I say half these things on hikes. Like, oh my god, it's tor- torture. They, they did it on. They did it on SNL one time too, where it was like a white person thing to say. Where you're like, oh oh oh, excuse, oh uh, sneaking right behind you. Yeah, I'm just gonna like scooch right behind like, you. Fuck. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Whatever that is, and I'm like, shit. I say that like three times a day. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, it has that energy, and and we wanted to. Um. I, I got to. So I was halfway through book three. Um, I really, really love properties, uh, book series, and um, uh, anything where you can, where you start out and you feel like, oh, the big challenge is, let's say, uh, you know, oh, my dad's a real jerk and I got to get out of the house. And then you realize as each subsequent book goes on that the story gets big. No, it wasn't about the house. It was about the city. And then you're like, oh, no, no, it wasn't about the city. It was about the state. You know what I mean? And then before long, you're, it's a whole thing. And they tie it in and you have to conquer the galaxy. And, and I go, every, anytime someone can do that and keep the tension up and keep the characters true to themselves, I'm always amazed. And I was halfway through book three and I started to get nervous. And I was like, wait, are there only three books? I, I'd seen mm-hmm. somehow in my feed, I'm like, oh, I know there's three books. And I was like, wait, when's the next one coming out? Like, how can I, I, I was like, oh, I can't be without this thing to, to, uh, enjoy my free time. And, uh, I looked it up and, and the, the sixth book came out, uh, September of 2023. Oh, so nice. I immediately went and bought like all three books. I was like, okay, good, like good. Um, so, uh, so yeah, w- once I saw that, that I had that reaction, I said, okay, I have to put this among the things that we're going to share with our listeners and, um, and just let them know it's great and, and uh, just put it on the radar. That's it. Now, boss, will we uh, be uh, sued or have a cease and desist letter sent for sharing the, uh, the first chapter? Uh, yeah, probably. Mm. Probably at some point. Um, but they have to find us first and um, they have to uh, uh, figure out what our email address is. So, well. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I'm never going to be sued. Not because I'm not going to do anything wrong, but because I don't have any money. Like, you could try. <laughs> I've got... Go right, go go for right it. ahead. Like, it, I, anytime... I have, like, a candle collection of, yeah, of man. like, quirky a- candles. Anytime people that are like, oh, well, watch out, they're going to steal your identity. I'm like, okay, well, I have $100,000 in student loan debt and a 2011 Nissan Versa. So... Fucking go for it. <laughs> that is, that is, I'm telling you, I know you don't know this yet, but that is exactly the tone of the book we're trying to pimp right now. That is it. That is like, I have zero fucks left to bring it. Bring it. We got a dude that ran into a dungeon wearing a leather jacket, boxers, and his ex girlfriend's. Uh, pink Crocs and holding her award-winning cat who's mm-hmm. trying to scratch his body. And, and um, that, it has that sort of, you know, that feel to it where you go, like, just do your worst. Like, yeah, man. What, what more can you take from me? Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Like, God damn it. That's right, boss. I love on. it. 
I love it. Well, anyway, everyone, I wanted to share this with you today um, and, and, and uh, clue you into um, Dungeon Crawler Carl, one of the absolute best audiobooks I've ever heard. The series is phenomenal. I could not, I'm telling you, I was like maybe six hours ago, I had important things to do and I couldn't take my my earbuds out of I was like oh my god I was mm-hmm. in the best scene and I'm like there's no way this dude is going to pull this off it, it, it like just as a creator as a person who tries to who's a writer and tries to uh, uh, you know create things I go how and then like ma- masterful mm-hmm. so we always want to share things with people that make their lives better and uh, give them a glimpse into something that's fun and uh, ma- makes just makes things uh, makes it makes everything sort of uh, more enjoyable. And so uh, today, uh, Coach was uh, traveling, and so Boss and I hopped on, and we thought, you know what? Let's just let's just share this uh, little little slice of, of goodness. And hopefully, if anyone uh, enjoys it, if it's something that uh, that you get some enjoyment out of, uh, great. We're supporting the written word. We're supporting creative people, just like our brand says we do. Um, and uh, and and hopefully it'll it'll spread that much more joy uh, through the listener community and through the world and um, and and get this uh, exceptionally talented writer paid and 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 Jeff Hayes uh, uh, who does the voiceover oh my god the voice acting I'm like <laughs> Jesus Christ like Jesus Christ and, and and by the way I found this because it was one on one of those lists where um, I like to think. Uh, once upon a time, I couldn't do audiobooks. I just could, I couldn't do them. I, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I'll read it. I'll read it faster. And and then and then the I don't know what cracked the egg for me, but I got to a place where I recognized that yes, I can read it faster, and um, and I can sort of build the picture. I want the picture in my head. I don't want someone else putting their own picture in my right. But I realized, you know what? Sometimes with the right um, sort of synergy to use a terrible business word mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. amazing writing and amazing voice acting, the picture there, there, it feels like a, it feels like a, you're just, it's a gift. They, they just, mm-hmm. whatever they're doing to put it together, they're, they're putting, they're, they're making the right sort of connection and you feel like, Oh, this is better than I could have th- thought it in my, you know, in my mind or whatever. It's just like what, whatever they're doing is tremendous and the voices that they're attributing to the characters where I would have attributed my own voices to it. It's like, no, no, these are like more than acceptable. These are like, they feel like the right choice wise. Yeah. So um, I was looking about uh, up this list of like, what are the best audiobooks of all time? And uh, I went down the list and I was like, yes, 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 yes. I had heard most of them. And I got to this one towards the end and said, dungeon crawler, Carl. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, d- like never heard of it. No idea what it is. And played a little sample on a lark, and then have not stopped I, <laughs> since that first moment. Wait, you have never watched the uh, 1982 Best Picture Award winner Dungeon Crawler Carl? Because I thought this was based on the same property. Is that? Oh yeah, yeah. The original is that the, the Sally Field yeah. Uh, film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the no, uh, Meryl Streep and uh, Michael Caine. Yeah, the Meryl Streep. Listen, Meryl Streep. If you said Meryl, you get to play Carl. She was like, <laughs> she was like this is. This is the role of a lifetime. Someone's going to bring this to the... I'm t- like, be ahead of the curve, everyone, because someone is going to bring this to the big screen, and it is going to be, like... You're just going to go... Oh, like, it should be a show, theoretically, and not a, a film. Yeah, because that'd but, be hard. But it yeah. is, like... 
you just go, oh, oh my, just the the imagination. I just go, oh, what it would look like visually, uh, you know. Anyway, um, I, anyway, that that's it uh, for today. I just wanted to share, and uh, and thankfully, boss. Um, uh, decided to join me and listen listen uh, with us uh, today. And um, uh, Coach is traveling, but we'll be back and um, and we'll be back uh, exploring uh, more Ted Lasso content for you. So um, with that, uh, we thank you for listening. And we say that until next time, we are. Oh, I'm doing this on my own. This, this is just me. We're rich until we die. Thank you, boss. Mm-hmm. Thank you. See, it's better without Coach. Always. Tell him I said that. The terrible guy. Yeah. The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and the Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.